Good morning. So good to see everybody today, this Sunday after Easter. And I just want to remind you that um, He is still risen. We've got just as much reason to worship and be excited about Jesus today as we did last Sunday. Because the truth of it all and what it means still goes on and uh, we get to celebrate that every day of the year. Last Sunday, I spent the last part of the message just reading off different verses straight from the Bible about who Jesus is, what he has done, and who we are in him. And I got to tell you, I believe it was one of the most powerful moments I can remember um, being in a service since I've been a part of this church. And I received lots of feedback about it, essentially saying the same thing, which just goes to show you and to prove that there is power in God's Word. Um, I didn't have to come up with any clever words of my own. Uh, all I did was read Scripture and just let it do what it does. Uh, some people came up to me afterwards and said, where did you get that, that you were reading off there at the end there? And i like, from the Bible. Uh, I didn't find it on the internet or see some video or anything. I just, just read uh, scripture, and uh, the Lord blessed us by making himself known through that. I mean, you could just sense his presence in a tangible way. Um, I've heard since then from so many about the impact that it had on them that, to tell you the truth, it made me a little anxious about today. Uh, I was kind of struggling with the thought, well, how am I going to follow that up? And uh, there was actually a message that I had planned on preaching today um, before we even did Easter. But because last Sunday was so powerful and things that had happened, it just felt like it'd be a huge letdown. Um, I've been in full-time ministry uh, for about 17 years now. And one of the things that I've really enjoyed is learning how to recognize uh, something that God is doing. Uh, not that you have to be in full-time ministry to do that at all, but I'm really talking about what He is doing and saying specifically in this church body. And I've learned to recognize the way that the Holy Spirit might be highlighting something that he's wanting us to focus on. And if he does highlight something, that I better pay attention to it and not just blow it off as something other than him doing something. That's why I always tell our, our teachers, Bible study teachers, Sunday school teachers, to not get so locked into the curriculum that you miss something the Holy Spirit might might be doing that that may not have anything to do with the curriculum. I mean, in a in a group discussion or something, somebody says. I mean, something might come up, and that's the Holy Spirit going. Wait a minute! Don't don't go any further before you deal with this right here. Just spend some time on this. And so we have to be careful not to get so focused and intent on getting through the material that we miss what what God is wanting to do. Um, sometimes that happens in the sermons I preach. I specifically remember my plan was to preach just one sermon on how Jesus takes away our shame. But that whole issue of shame touched a nerve so strong in so many people that I realized God was saying, you need to park on this for a little bit because I've got more to say about this. And it ended up turning into a whole series on shame. And so I was, as I was worrying and, and praying about what to do this week, the Lord reminded me all that. Plus, he reminded me that the goal is not to try to one-up the previous Sunday or to copy it all over again. The goal is to be faithful what the Lord is, is specifically wanting to say this Sunday. 
And uh, the things that I read last Sunday did touch a nerve in a lot of folks. And so uh, I realized that God is wanting us to just kind of park on that a while and to look closer at some of those truths that, uh, that, I, that I read off. And uh, the thing is, though, I mean, he actually did tell me this as soon as last Sunday afternoon, and I totally dismissed it. Uh, we were at the house, and my wife, Carol, said, you know, that was so powerful. I think you need to just stay there. I think you either need to do that again or, or focus more on that or something. And I just completely blew it off, like, no, you're not listening to the Lord. I know the Lord, and just completely brushed that off. And so I have to admit that uh, I was wrong and she was right which in 20 years of marriage, the first time that has ever happened. And so I got to not. <laughs> Just kidding. Kidding, honey. Men, the Lord does speak to our wives very often, and so we better be listening whenever they're speaking. So <laughs> for the next however many weeks it takes, we're just going to go through these truths from God's Word that I read on Easter Sunday, and there really wasn't any reason. I read them in that particular order. I just wrote down as many verses as I could find on what Christ has done and who we are in Him. Um, All I did was want to end. I knew I wanted to end with the ones that talked about Jesus, but as I've gone back and looked over them closer, it's surprising to see how there just does seem to be this particular order that was laid out there, and they fit all together. So instead of telling you to turn to a particular text in the Bible like I always do, we're just going to, every Sunday, I'm going to have the next section of it that we're going to look at printed in the bulletin there, and we'll just read that because sometimes it'll be different verses that are put together, and uh, in some places, I change the pronouns from we or us to you in order to make it more personal. So we're going to look at the very first thing I read off there. And what you see there in your bulletin is actually Psalm 40, verse 2 in the first half of verse 3, and Colossians 1.13. Now, I had originally planned on doing, looking at both of these verses today because they kind of go together. But we're only going to have time looking at the ones in Psalms. And so let's stand together as I read this and hear what the Lord has to say to us through this today. It says, He brought you out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and set your feet upon a rock, making your footsteps firm. He put a new song in your mouth, a song of praise to our God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for showing us last Sunday, God, just how powerful it is. Lord, I pray that you would show us today just what it can do inside of us when we, when we take it and we see you for who you are, Lord. When we really begin to not just believe it intellectually with our minds, Lord, but when it sinks into our hearts and takes root in us. And I pray that that's what will happen. God, I pray as we go on this journey uh, through these truths, Lord, that you would birth in us a hunger for truth, a desire for it. And, uh, God, we would be able to distinguish between it and all the lies that come at us on a daily basis. Lord, let your will be done in this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, all those verses I read last Sunday were part of the third point of the message, which was that the resurrection of Jesus means that our identity crisis is solved. 
I talked about how God created us with the need for a secure identity and that he wired us to where we receive that the strongest from our fathers, our earthly fathers. And the reason God did that is so that we would ultimately look to him for who we truly are. And the reason I I read all of that was because I said that I could stand up here all day long and tell you who you are in Christ, but in order for you to truly receive it and believe it, you have to hear it from the Father. And so what I was reading are not what I say about you, but what the Father says about you and who you are. And so we, as we continue to look closer at these truths, I want you to keep in mind and realize that this is not what I say about you, but what the Father is saying about you. These, these truths are yours. If you have put your faith in Jesus and your hope is only in what he has done on your behalf, these truths are yours. You can own them. They, uh, this is what happened to you. And in Psalm 42, David wrote, He brought me out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. David was prophesying here as he often did, looking forward to Jesus. And so now that Jesus has come, for those of us who are in him, we can look back at these Old Testament verses like this to discover what we have in Jesus now. Now, David was essentially looking at this as this is what Jesus will do. And so now we can look back at this as this is what Jesus has done. And the first thing he says is he brought me out of the pit of destruction. Now as I was studying this, I found something pretty interesting that I didn't know before. And that was that the Hebrew word here that has been translated into destruction is the word shawon. That word is found 16 times in the Old Testament, but this verse here is the only place where it is translated as destruction. And why that is, I don't know, because shawon actually means a roar, din, crash, a loud uproar. Like in Psalm 65, 7, it says that God is the one who stills the roaring or the shawon of the seas, the roaring of the waves. In other verses, it's used as the uproar uh, of many people, as in the loud noise that comes from a huge crowd. If you went to a football game or a Rangers baseball game or a concert and when a, a, an exciting thing happens out there on the field and a packed stadium starts shouting and yelling, if that was to continue on and on and on and on, that deafening buzz, that is the word being um, uh, described here in Shawon. That's what it means. But David also describes the pit as miry clay, which means that it's a pit that he can't get any traction in in order to climb out of. And how many of you have ever tried to walk up a steep bank of a river or a creek that is nothing but solid clay? Anybody? You're hoping there wasn't a camera around whenever you tried to do that because you can't do it. I mean, it's downright impossible 
to walk up. You walk up a slick bank of clay and your feet are going to come right out from under you and you're going to be shot down into the water like being on a ride at Wet n' Wild before you even know what happened to you. I mean, that has got to be some of the slickest substance on earth. I know because it has happened to me on more than one occasion. And so David is essentially describing life without Jesus as being in this pit of deafening noise that you cannot get out of. So where is this noise coming from? Well, I believe that it's the noise that surrounds us every day, the lies that continually bombard us. I read an article one day about a study that was done on advertising in the United States, and it said that people here are exposed on average to 3,000 advertising messages a day. 3,000 a day. I mean, it, it sounds like a lot, but it actually makes sense when you think about the television and radio and newspapers, magazines, websites, billboards, everything that is screaming out some type of advertising message, and it comes at us 3,000 times a day. And what are all these messages saying? Pretty much anything and everything but the truth of the gospel. But it's not only advertising messages, it's also the messages that come from other people, the messages that come from our own self-centered flesh, from news organizations, from politics, and more than anything else, from the one that Jesus calls the father of lies. You take all that into account and you can see that every day we wake up to a shout-on of an uproar of lies. And if you have no truth from which to judge all that noise by, to distinguish all those lies from, you are headed for destruction. Those lies will ultimately destroy you. And so maybe that's why they decided to translate Shawon to destruction here in this text And every one of those messages are ultimately to get you to believe that they have the answer to what satisfies your soul. If you're in a pit of depression, a pit of loneliness, of frustration, a pit of anger, a pit of a a low self-worth, there is an uproar of messages that tell you what the answer is to getting out. They say, this is the way out of the pit. And every time you buy into one, you just slip further and further down because every one of those answers are nothing but miry clay. And where you really start slipping further and further down is when you begin to think more of what doesn't satisfy just might satisfy. And that's what we do here in our culture. We try to go for something that we think is going to satisfy us, and when it doesn't, We think, well, maybe more of it will work. Well, that didn't work. Well, maybe I need even more of it. And it's what I've referred to before as this cul-de-sac of stupidity. Where we just keep wanting more and more and then it just leads, that's what leads to strongholds and addictions and things that now we are really in a pit that we can't get out of. But in a vast ocean of lies that Satan is trying to drown you in every day, there is one piece of solid ground. 
David saw this solid ground, this solid truth from afar, and he saw that truth isn't an ideal, truth isn't just a correct set of facts, but truth is a person, and his name is Jesus. He received that revelation of truth from the Holy Spirit and believed it and then described it as having his feet set on a solid rock. No more slipping back down into the pit trying to stand on a bunch of lies Some of you here today may be feeling as though you're in a similar pit. You've tried all sorts of ways of getting out, but you keep slipping right back down. You have believed the lie that something other than Jesus is what is going to satisfy your longing, whether it be drugs or alcohol, sexual promiscuity, popularity, acceptance from the world, financial success, or maybe it's running away or quitting. That's the answer that sounds most attractive. That will finally satisfy you. I'm telling you right now, there is only one truth in a sea of lies. There is only one rock on which to stand. Only one answer for the longing of your soul. Only one person in whom you will find complete satisfaction. And his name is Jesus. Just as that old hymn says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is what? Sinking sand. It's nothing but a pit of miry clay. And then David says in verse 3, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God said this many times before, but it bears repeating that everything that God does in your life, he does in order to ultimately lead you into pure joy. Everything God does, he's doing it to lead you into pure joy. Now, I know that goes totally against the perception of God that some of you have in your mind or the perception that was created from maybe some church experience you had in the past where God is this angry, controlling being who wants nothing more but your best behavior and will strike you down when you fail. But the truth is, what God is trying to do in your life is not beat you into good behavior, but to lead you into pure joy. And please, do not mistake that to mean that I'm saying that God's purpose is to make you happy. That is not what I'm saying at all, because there is a huge difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is shallow. It's very temporary. And it completely depends on your current circumstance or situation. Joy, on the other hand, is deep and it is lasting and it continues and stays no matter what circumstance you find yourself in. And if you think God's purpose in your life is to make you happy, that will ultimately lead you to some very poor decisions in life. Things that you will um, declare to be God's will that isn't at all. I can't tell you how many people I've heard say, God just wants me to be happy. Really? What do you base that on? 
Because there is nothing in his word that says that at all. Happiness is all circumstantial. It's based on whatever is happening to you and around you that can change in a second. And so if we believe God's purpose is to make us happy and we find ourselves in a circumstance that is taking all our happiness away or preventing us from being happy, then we will automatically conclude that it must be God's will for me to change my circumstance. When that may not be his will at all. Maybe he put you in that circumstance to do something else in you other than make you happy. Something much better for you than mere temporary happiness. It's probably the number one reason I hear why a lot of people will use to justify to get a divorce. Say, God just wants me to be happy in this marriage and I'm not happy at all. So they'll try to justify getting out of the marriage as being God's will based on the fact that his goal, after all, is for them to be happy. Let me tell you something. That is bad, bad theology. It's horrible theology. And that is taking control of your own life, doing things your way for your own purposes instead of trusting God all while trying to pretty it up with these spiritual terms. Am I saying that God doesn't want you to be happy? Not at all. But I am saying that happiness isn't as high of a priority to God as you might want it to be. See, there are other things that God thinks are way more important than your temporary happiness. And one of those things is your joy. And the reason why God is so intent on leading us into joy is because it produces in us the very thing that he wants most, which is worship. You and I were created for worship. And when we are led into joy, worship just automatically springs up from us. And worship isn't just something that we can produce on our own. It's something that rises up from deep within us, birthed from that joy. Being brought out of the miry clay and set on a solid rock in verse 2 led to joy that produced a new song of worship in verse 3. So look at this now. Verse 2 describes this uproar of lies that can't get us out of the pit. But God brings truth that gets us out, leads us to joy, and produces worship. You can apply this to just about any situation in life, any pit that you find yourself in. Some people may be in a pit of rejection and just long to be accepted and loved by anyone. And the uproar of lies will say that you will find that by giving yourself physically to anyone, to someone. We'll say happiness is what matters most, and sleeping with anyone is what is going to make you happiest. It will say that God's design for sexuality is outdated and old-fashioned. We live in different times now. But the truth is that God has provided His Son through whom you will find the love and acceptance that totally satisfies and will not change. 
And being completely satisfied in him means that you can now abstain from sexual immorality and keep it within the boundaries of his perfect design. And doing so will lead you into pure joy. If you find yourself in a pit of fear, that uproar will say, the only thing that's going to alleviate that fear is for you to take control of everything and hold on to things as tight as you can. But if you believe that, you're going to be sliding down the miry clay of anger because very soon you will realize that you cannot control things the way you want to, which just produces frustration and anger. The truth is that through Jesus, you now have the opportunity to know the Father the way that Jesus the Son knew him when he was here on earth. Trust in him with every aspect of your life, knowing that he has a perfect plan and a purpose for you, for your children, for your spouse, and that nothing can keep his purposes from being accomplished. And you can now let go and trust him which is going to lead you into pure joy. If you find yourself in a pit of guilt and shame from the sins of the past, the uproar will say that you are not worthy of God's love. You have tainted yourself and that you've got to work really hard to make up for what you've done. You've got to really put in the work now in order to clean yourself up and make yourself presentable to God where he can begin to love you again. The truth is that Jesus took all your guilt and shame upon himself. He paid in full the price for the sins that you have committed so that you don't have to. Jesus took your sin and in his grace and mercy gave you something in return. He credited you with everything that he has in the Father. The love that he has from the Father is yours. The acceptance that he has is yours. The favor he has from the Father is yours. His standing before the Father as holy and perfect and righteous and clean is yours. It's credited to you, not because of what you've done, but because of what he has done for you. In him you stand on the solid rock, redeemed, forgiven, accepted, and fully restored. I started out saying all this is about your identity. And when it comes to who you are, there is an uproar of lies that is deafening In this world that we live in, all trying to tell you what to tie your identity to, what to base your identity on. They'll say it's your looks, which for some of us is really bad news. (laughs) That is what our society does. Our identity is all tied in our looks. They'll say it's in your successes or your achievements your abilities, your talents, your popularity, your job, your children, your success or failure as a parent, 
your success or failure in marriage, the mistakes of the past, social media responses, what kind of car you drive, how big of a house you have, how many trophies you have on the shelf or big deer you have on the wall. It all says there's your value. There's where your value is right there. That's who you are. And every one of those things is nothing but miry clay that gives you no firm foundation on who you really are. It's all shallow. It can all be gone in a second. Your true, solid, unchanging identity is found in Christ alone. It's your identity in Him that serves on the solid rock, making your footsteps firm. And as we continue through these truths for the next couple of weeks, we're going to find out what the Father really has to say about who you are. And I'm here to tell you that knowing that and then really believing it, it is the greatest cure for depression, for anxiety, for fear, and for stress that there is. The four biggest things that people, young and old, struggle with the most in our society today. The answer to be setting, set free in all four of those things is to truly know and believe who you are in Jesus. Is that good news or what? So keep coming. As we go on this journey together, because I promise you it's going to be good. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you that you have given us truth, real truth. That we don't have to guess or wonder. Lord, you've given us truth in your Son. In your word. God, I pray like I did earlier that we would be a people hungry for your truth. People who are not content just to settle for the shallowness of this world around us and the lies that come at us on a constant basis. Lord, I pray that we would be so full of your truth that we would be able to easily recognize the lies that come at us. Lord, I know you've got good things in store for us as we continue on this journey of looking at these truths, but Lord, I also know that you've got something in mind for somebody right here in this place this morning. God, I know there are people that came in here feeling like they are in a pit. Maybe it's one of the specific ones that I mentioned in the message. Lord, they see now what they have tried to cling to in order to get themselves out and they now know why they're still in there God I just trust that your Holy Spirit has given them a revelation of truth as to the only way out Lord I pray that you would reach down set their feet upon a solid rock right now Lord we confess that we have turned to things to satisfy us other than you. 
And Lord, I pray that every time we do that, we would just absolutely choke on it. Knowing that the only satisfaction is in you. It's in your truth. So Holy Spirit, I'm praying that you would come right now and do the work in our hearts that you long to do. That you would renew our minds. That you would transform our hearts. God, fill us with your truth. That we may live the lives that you created us for, that you saved us for through the death of your son. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.